Are you looking for a new basketball shoe? If so, this is Gary Parrish here to tell you that the New Balance 2-Way V4 features the groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning. Every step feels explosive and dynamic, and the upper construction features a lightweight textile that's supportive and breathable. So whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the 2-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the 2-Way at newbalance.com. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. You've got the H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on those dirt trails and kick up some mud. Or the third-row seating gets your whole family in to experience the thrill together. The dual wireless charging pads make sure that no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead cell phone. Think about those adventurous activities you can do. Like me, taking a ski trip up with the family, maybe going on a camping expedition, anything and everything. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Hey there, Gary Parrish. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Ion College Basketball Podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting, dodo birds, and leaky black. Matt Norlander is here with me. If you're watching on YouTube, please smash the like button like your Brandon Davies. You have consent. If you haven't yet subscribed to the YouTube channel, please knock that out while you're here. Let's get into it. Seems like the appropriate place to start is by, we don't normally do this, but I, you know, I like to mix it up every once in a while. Uh, Seems like the appropriate place to, to start is by revisiting this weekend's final four and one picks. We picked, oh. <laughs> we, we picked, we picked five college uh, basketball games per oh. usual, uh, plus the two college football playoff semifinals. Not a, uh, you're the official scorekeeper of this thing. Uh, you want to tell folks how we did and what our updated records look like on the season? You guys are both tied at 21, 15, and 1. 21, 21. And someone went 6 0 and 1 this weekend to the surprise of everyone, and probably including you, GP. Can we get a little more specific? Who exactly went 6 0 and 1 this weekend? You, sir. You went 6 0 and 1. And what's my record now? 21, 15, and 1. Tied with Norlander, by the way. 21, 21. Wow. You may do a little Rick. You may do a little Rick flex for you. You may do a little rich, rich flex for you. I'll hit a rich, rich flex for you. 21, 21. Nicely done. 20, Even 20. Steven heading into 23. So yeah, GP went, didn't take an L. We obviously both pushed because the Ken Palm projection was Kentucky by 23. That was the margin I think uh, Louisville basketball in that final possession actually got it inside the number. I think so Louisville technically covered because it was 22 and a half or 23 and a half, something like that. But congratulations on, I mean, over under 0.5 more perfect weekends, weekends without a loss for you. I mean, we're taking the under, right? I mean, I think I've done it. I think I've done it, but I certainly haven't done it often. (laughs) Yeah, I know. No, it's, it's, it's not necessarily easy, but hey, listen, it's a little bit like greens and regulation. I do it sometimes. But not a lot. It's true. By the way, uh, we did fold to the two football games into that, and you went two and zero, and I went zero and two. It was a fun. We're gonna get plenty of Saturday hoops. We got to get to here, but you know, obviously, New Year's Eve was capped off by those games, and it was the best pair of semifinal 
college football games we've had since the CFP became a thing, you know, almost a decade ago. So that was that was great to see and certainly <laughs> certainly uh, certainly really surprising. I had a I had a buddy who apparently he took I don't know what he bet to what. And I don't know if this was a parlay or whatever uh, from other stuff. If Ohio, he had Ohio State and TCU money line. I think he had something else. But he was going to win eighteen hundred if Ohio State just had to win the game money line, and I don't know if he hedged and eventually I don't I don't know all that stuff. I was on a I was on a text thread and then it was like TCU won, and then it's like eighteen hundred if Ohio State does this, and I was like, you need to get out of that. But he didn't, and so there we go. I uh I went to bed thinking Ohio State won. I woke up this morning genuinely surprised. I didn't mean to fall asleep during the game, but like I went downstairs and uh sort of uh you know uh, sank into the couch uh, with the family and just sort of next thing i know my eyes were asleep and then i woke up at some point and i just went i went to bed and i woke up this morning and uh, you know got a cup of coffee like i do and went to do the top 25 and one and i was like well, what georgia came back and won that game so i rewatched like the last seven minutes earlier today um they, they were re-airing it on one of the espn stations so that was that was quite the uh the, the 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 football game it was really a, a, the quite the college football playoff semifinals we haven't had great semifinals in that sport often but right. those those two games yesterday were both uh, tremendous and now it sets up a national championship game Georgia TCU I believe the Bulldogs opened as 13 point favorites we will pick that game uh, on the next Sunday edition I think because that the CFP title game is always on a Monday so uh, a week from now we'll pick that a couple quick things one um, you buried the lead. Okay. You you were asleep for the old uh, central time zone ball drop. I was. Okay. Yeah. It, yeah. It was like, um, I didn't mean to be like, uh, I just, sometimes I get tired, you know, sometimes I just fall asleep. That's, that's true. We, um, the, I don't have a problem falling asleep. I have a problem staying asleep. Okay. <laughs> but, but, but going to sleep, it works pretty easily yeah. for me. Uh, my wife rallied. She was, it was about 10 15 and, and it wasn't looking so good. We watched, uh, made the time pass. We had the, football game on the main TV. And then we watched the one hour Murderville Netflix thing with Will Arnett. Will Arnett. Have you watched that show? I watched. This is going to start to sound like a pattern. I turned it on one night. Okay. Fell, asleep. fell asleep. Yeah. Never went back to it. I tell you what, and we're going to get to basketball in just a second, but like you watch, you watch TV shows and I, I'm sure other people listening right now, watch TV shows. I had, ne- let's just start here. Have you ever heard of the show? I hate Susie. I hate no. Susie too. I had never heard of it. All right. And back on my radio show, every time, every day at the end of the show, it's like, what's the biggest game tonight? What are we watching on TV? And I've got this page I go through and it tells me like when stuff's premiering or special episodes, I can always find something to reference for that TV category. And like uh, a few weeks ago, it was like a a season two of I Hate Susie 2 launches or something like that. And I was like, what is I've literally never heard of it. And I went and uh, looked at it on Rotten Tomatoes and it got incredible reviews. And then I Google searched it like the first thing that came up was I hate Susie is the best TV show you're not watching. And I, so I went and watched the whole first season. Cause I got a little, I got a little free time now that I didn't used to have. And uh, it's great. Check out if you're, I, I hate Susie. It's on HBO max. I finished this first season earlier today. Uh, 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 Two thumbs eventually. up. Two All thumbs right. up for me. That's good to know. Um, where was I? Oh yeah. Okay. So um, did make it to, Made it to to midnight, and uh, and here we are, twenty twenty three, another year of this podcast. Thank you for joining us on this Sunday. Never miss a Sunday show. We appreciate you here. And I was thinking when TCU won, feels like in the major American college sports landscape, TCU is the first team of its ilk to play for a national championship. You know, national underdog, unexpected team to get there. When you look at the context of the greater sport, preseason polls, 
I think since a guy named Stevens was coaching a school named Butler and they did that in back-to-back seasons. This is a trivia time real quick. Hmm. All right. Butler made back-to-back championships, right? I'm aware. Yes. You were there. You were yeah. there. Do you remember I, that? I do remember being at both. You remember being at You swear? I remember being at Butler's, I believe, Elite Eight game the second year when they won to go to the, the Final Four for the second straight year. And I remember having this moment just um, like I'm on the court and they're celebrating and I sort of make eye contact from a distance, like a, like a romantic movie eye contact with a, with a, from a distance. I lock in with Brad Stevens. So it's just, so it's just me and Brad Stevens staring at each other across the court. I'm sure that was it. And that's exactly what it was. And, and, you know, he looked at me and you know what he said? Can you believe this? He looked right at me and said, can you believe this? He did not. I swear to God, that's a true story. Why would I make up a Brad Stevens story? Why is Brad Stevens looking at you and saying, can you believe this? We he's locked in. He, he, the, the, this is winning the national semifinal to get it done. He's locking eyes with you. No, it was a win in the Elite Eight to go to back-to-back, oh. um, to go to back-to-back uh, final fours. I believe. I believe. Yeah. Who did they beat? This is not part of the trivia time. Who did no. they beat? If, it was, no. if, if it's that vivid to you, who did they beat? No idea. Ah, uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> can't remember the game. Can't remember the city. The second one. Can you name either of the ones they had? They had in back-to-back years. They had epic Elite Eight games. Well, one of them was more epic than the other. UMass Lowell. Okay, Kansas State was the first one. Florida was the second. Here is my trivia time. Can you name the seeds that Butler was in both of those seasons? I want to say one of them. They were like a seven seed, eight seed. Weren't they a seven or an eight one year? You lose. And then maybe an 11. You lose. I don't know. Five seed when they played Duke. Yep. And then they were an eight seed. You said seven first. They were an eight seed when they got back there. Remember, first round, they had that tussle, crazy ending against Old Dominion. Shouts to the late, great Andrew Smith, who played a big role in the end of that game before playing another close one against Pittsburgh, getting on through Wisconsin, Florida, VCU, and then beating Connecticut in what's universally regarded as the ugliest and most aesthetically unappealing championship game in the history of the men's NCAA tournament. Hopefully, Georgia TCU is much more watchable than that one. As a casual football, college football observer, uh, this is plenty fun. I would have been good with any title game matchup, to be honest. But TCU being in it gets me that more interested and engaged. I think it's an awesome, awesome story. Actually, as it so happens, one of my next-door neighbors, she graduated with a nursing degree. She works locally here at Yale Hospital. She graduated from TCU. So uh, <laughs> she was, uh, you know, her and her husband quite excited on Saturday. So congrats, uh, congrats to them as well. And Horn Frog fans everywhere, you're in the midst of having quite the quite the season here because your your basketball team, preseason top fifteen, still just one loss. Your football team's going to play for national championship. It is the greatest season in TCU history. I will give a quick uh, as we pivot here in just a second. Here's where we are, January one. Okay, here are the teams that were either undefeated, I mean undefeated, unranked heading into the season. They're either surprising one-loss teams or they're still a bit quiet. TCU doesn't count in that because they were ranked in the preseason. 14-1 UConn, 14-1 Charleston. You got Charleston in your top 25-1? I do not. Okay. Fair enough. 13-1 Miami, 12-1 Mizzou, 12-1 Florida Atlantic, 12-1 K-State, and 12-1 LSU. Those are your... uh, your one lost teams that were either all of them were unranked and some of them are still pretty quiet. And then obviously you've got Purdue and New Mexico who are still uh, undefeated in TCU, not that far behind from what they, uh, from everyone else. They just, they were ranked in the preseason unlike those other teams. 
All right, so that's about 10 minutes of college football slash Brad Stevens. Um, I, I lock, locking eyes with Brad Stevens stories than anybody needed, I'm certain. So let's turn our attention to college basketball. This is a pretty good day on Saturday um, in that sport, highlighted, I think, by Xavier UConn. Final score, Musketeers 83, Huskies 73. Credit where credit is due. Dead leg, you called it. What did you know that led you to correctly predict Xavier's upset of the, at the time, second-ranked UConn Huskies? I didn't think it'd be wind up being a double-digit deficit, and that's what it was. But that was, you know, Xavier closing like a 12-2. It was 71-all, I think, and then Xavier wins 83-73, so 12-2 run to, uh, to close it out there. There was a Hurley technical mm-hmm. with like 90 seconds to go, unless I missed this, and I don't know. 225. Like, okay, 225 to go. <laughs> Just an incredible... By the way, Saturday was awesome in terms of that... That 2 p.m. Eastern window of college basketball, which this preceded going into the football. Just an awesome, awesome Saturday, really. Um, but I don't think they ever showed what Hurley did. Did you ever see this? Maybe there's someone in the chat or you. Well, well, what Dan said, Dan afterwards said he, he said unbelievable. And he acknowledged he was frustrated by the foul, um, the, the free throw differential. Um, UConn shot nine free throws in the game. Xavier shot 28. And as he was talking about it after the game, he said, you know, you, you, you realize what's happening. It's all in your head. And then he said, I wish I wouldn't have said unbelievable and sort of, a, you know, like, but he, he, according to Dan Hurley, all he said was either after a whistle or after a no call, he said, unbelievable. And they hit him with the tech. And at the time, UConn was only down two with 225 left. And that obviously sent it um, further in the wrong direction. You mentioned closing on the 12-2 run. Xavier did. Um, UConn was up seven with 17-37 left. Up seven, 50-43. And then Xavier outscored him 40-23 the rest of the way, including, like you noted, 12-2, you know, down the stretch. Yeah, um, what's interesting about that is the uh, the technical is in the pregame. Um, they just did a, a quick, you know, let's talk with the coach in, in the hallway before we get going. It was obviously a big-time game there for Fox. And so they had the, the, the last question before they threw it back to the studio was, Dan, any New Year's resolutions? And he was joking. He's like, I don't know maybe curse less, but it's the Jersey city in me. Like it's, it's, it's part of our vernacular. And uh, if he actually did not curse in that moment and got into anyway, that's, that's kind of soft, but it's all about, I don't know how close he was to the official, how he said it. And you know, the, I, I understand it, UConn fans are, are not happy in terms of losing the game, the way they did the Hurley technical, whether he should have had it, the officiating overall, didn't help yourselves by only getting to the line for nine attempts, only made four of those, by the way, I, I get all that. Xavier, it was a great, it was a really, really good game. I would say it was a great game. It was a really, really good game. Xavier deserved to win. It was a competitive game. They pulled away late. Xavier was the better team, and it deserved to to win. And kind of the reason why I picked, we both picked Xavier to cover. I thought Xavier would win straight up, is offensively, Xavier has looked like it can go with just about any team in the country. And going into that game, let me bring up both their profiles here. Both teams were top 10 in offensive efficiency. UConn is now 9 Xavier seven. I want to say Xavier was six before that game. Um, so it might have even dropped a spot in the 24 hours since this is, has happened there. But Xavier still ranks top five in three-point accuracy. When Zach Fremantle is able to consistently put up a game like he did here, 16-11, I think it was his fifth double-double this season, that's mega. Colby Jones has a great knack for how to 
both get to the rim. Like he's going to be a draft pick and he'll probably be a draft pick this June. I don't think he's going to stick around one more year. And I don't know if he'll go as high as 20, 22, 24, if he'll slip back to the late thirties or forties, he deserves to be an NBA pick because he rarely makes bad plays. He's got to up himself defensively and he's got to be a little bit better with the ball overall, but he had a lot of spots in this game where just a lot of tension back and forth, and he came through with the bucket they needed. He had 16 along with Fremantle, and then Nunji, who was sick, but he managed to play, gave him 15. Jerome Hunter came off the bench to give him 15. And then Suley Boom has been probably the biggest big play player for them. He was simply okay. Uh, he had 11 in this one, and they got what they needed out of him. Andre, Andre Jackson had a, a few more plays. There's just no one like him. I've said it before. He was just he was good, but they need more than just him and Sonogo there. Jackson to 14, eight assists. 10 boards, Sonogo, 18 points, six boards overall. And it was a it was a good spirited performance by UConn. But Xavier, overall, I don't know. It, it was better. It proved it was top 15 material at this point. It's 12 and 3 overall. It's the first 4-0 record for Xavier in Big East play since it joined the league in 2013. That's certainly also notable. Xavier and Providence are the only undefeated teams in Big East play at this point. And, uh, and, and good stuff for X, good stuff for the Big East because – had UConn won, it, it just would have kept UConn at the absolute forefront of the Big East race discussion. And as we curl into 2023 here, there's a real discussion to be had with Xavier in UConn. Marquette's done, done okay for itself. We'll see if Creighton can get it back together. And then Providence, although it doesn't rate as well at this point, it might have some lingering uh, cynics after last season. Providence, like Xavier, uh, is 4-0. Those are the only two unbeaten teams in that conference. Um, some people are pointing out in the YouTube comments that uh, among the reasons there was a free throw disparity is because UConn took a lot of threes and Xavier really didn't. UConn took 37 threes in the game. Um, Xavier took 13. Um, so obviously when you take, you know, in, in UConn's case, the majority of your field goal attempts are from beyond the arc. You're not going to draw as many fouls. And that is why, and I, I, I should clarify, I wasn't pointing out the free throw disparity I was quoting Dan Hurley, who pointed out the free throw disparity in trying to explain why he, you know, was frustrated in that moment. I, I, I sort of roll my eyes every time I see fans tweeting about they've, you know, we've been called for eight fouls and they've only been called for two or or they've shot 24 free throws and we've only shot seven. Well, like, you know, that, that doesn't mean anything to me. Like, tell me about the bad calls. Point those out. But don't don't just point to a number and tell me that that means the officiating isn't quality because uh, free throw disparity or a foul disparity doesn't in and of itself uh, prove anything. And, and obviously, among the reasons, if not the biggest reason that that UConn didn't shoot nearly as many free throws as Xavier is because of um, the way those two teams attacked um, the offensive end of the court. Xavier ended up shooting fifty three. 0.8% from the field in the game. So that's obviously concerning for UConn. But still, you know, I didn't punish the Huskies too much for this. I dropped them from two to three in the top 25 and one. So now my my top five is, is Purdue at number one, Houston at number two, UConn at number three, Arizona at number four, and Kansas at number five. And as I wrote in Sunday morning's top 25 and one, um, I really I don't think there's a sensible top five other than that top five. Now, you can have Houston, UConn, Arizona, Kansas, in my opinion, in basically any order. But I think those are the four schools 
that have to come after Purdue on, on any sensible AP ballot that's going to be submitted either late Sunday night or early Monday morning. Let me run you through it real quick of the rationale. Uh, of the one-loss teams in, in the top five, Arizona obviously has the worst loss. You know, that's a loss to Utah. Um, and of the one-loss teams in the top five, Kansas or Arizona probably has uh, the best win. So, again, um, as long as you've got Houston, UConn, Arizona, Kansas, two, three, four, five in some order, um, you're probably fine. Uh, you know, putting them, uh, you know, at two, three, four, five right after Purdue at number one because Purdue is, you know, now the only undefeated team with more than one quadrant one win, and Purdue has five quadrant one wins, which is tied with Arizona for for most in the country. So the Boilermakers really on Monday in the AP poll should be a unanimous. Number one, I don't know if they will be, but but they should be. And then after that, it should be Houston, UConn, Arizona, Kansas, because those are the only one loss teams ranked in the top 30 of the net that also have at least three quadrant one wins like Miami. Uh, the Hurricanes look great, uh, but and that's a one loss team as well. Um, but they're 33rd in the net. They've got three quadrant one wins, but are not in the top 30 of the net. Houston, UConn, Arizona, Kansas are all in the top six of the net. So those are the teams that should be two through five on every sensible ballot Monday. We'll see if AP voters get that part right. All right. What else stood out to you? You know, early, you know, as we kind of roll through this episode here, I think UConn Xavier was the best matchup, wound up being a pretty good game. What's kind of next in line on the assembly line for UGP? Well, UConn wasn't uh, the only ranked team to lose on the road uh, this weekend. And we're going to touch on some other uh, games that fall into that category next. But first, a word from our partners. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. A reminder, if you want, you can now email the show, shouts2cbs at gmail.com, shouts2cbs at gmail.com. We are loving the responses we've gotten, the emails, the correspondence, the questions. Continue sending them. You can send in a video if you'd like, 10 to 15 second video, ask a question, name, city, town, get out. We'll try and drop those in going forward on the show, on the YouTube channel. Continue to send us stuff. We love hearing from you. And thank you, as always, for subscribing. So UConn wasn't the only ranked team to lose on the road this week. And number 12 at the time, Baylor was upset 77-62 at unranked Iowa State. And number 24 at the time, West Virginia lost 82-76 in OT at unranked Kansas State. Did either of those results surprise you much? I think you and I both picked Kansas State to to uh, to beat West Virginia. So that one wasn't surprising. You surprised Baylor got handled like that. 
Yeah, the, the, I don't have much on Kansas State. Well, Kansas State remains a good story. Deserves to be in the AP rankings when those refresh on Monday afternoon. And West Virginia needed a shot uh, at the end of regulation to even get it to OT. And then K-State wound up uh, handling it there and had a good game from Marquis Noel, who went for 23. And, you know, it's a tough spot for West Virginia on the road. West Virginia doesn't have a quality win yet. So they're still like, you know, the Big 12 is the high, most highly rated conference in the country. And there's a lot, a lot of good teams that are highly rated. And I get all that and all the preseason bias hasn't filtered out yet. Just got to see something from, from West Virginia. And we'll, we'll wait and see on that. We'll, uh, we'll touch on them briefly at the end of the episode with games coming up this weekend. The Baylor stuff is certainly um, notable for both ends. So no LJ Cryer for Baylor, which is obviously you know, that that's going to matter. That's going to be a, a big factor there. And, and, and not having LJ Cryer and his three point shooting ability. This is the third time in the past five games he has been unavailable. It's going to have an impact there. And Baylor now is 10 and three. It's losses against Virginia back in November. It lost at Marquette. Remember, it got rolled and then it was able to pull off five wins in a row. The most notable by far being the win over Gonzaga. But then here. Uh, it gets rolled again on the road the way that it did against Marquette there. So maybe some initial signs of just, I don't know. It's, it's not that Baylor, I don't think, will remain in the rankings for the majority of the rest of the season. But the Baylor teams of the past two or three years just weren't as likely to do this. And I think, while I, I remind listeners, uh, without any uh, hint of pride here, that Keontae George was my preseason pick for National Player of the Year. He has not been that to this point. And when you consider George, Flagler, and Cryer as a collective, they're just a little step below with what Baylor's had from a backcourt sense in recent seasons. So, you know, we wait and see. Their next game is going to be Tuesday, home against TCU, and then they're going to be home against K-State. Then they're at West Virginia. It, certainly at 0-1 in the Big 12, they could turn around and be 3-1, and maybe things will steady themselves. But I think it is just a little bit eyebrow-raising that they've had two games where they've been they've been absolutely rolled GP. For Iowa State, Real quick, and then and then take it away here. Another good game from Cape, Gabe Kalshier, who was awesome in the win over UNC when I saw him out in Portland. He had five threes, had 23 overall, and Iowa State did come back. They were down early. They were down nine in the first half, and this is a team and a program that had lost six consecutive games against Baylor. So you end that, and in getting this win, TJ Altsberger now has, like Iowa State fans, really got to be breathing some fresh oxygen at this point because, no, you don't have the most cosmetically appealing team in the country. We get all that. They're going to be defense first. A lot of the wins are going to be ugly. Whatever. You're going to take wins however you can get them, and Otzelberger has completely flipped that program in ways that are borderline historic, if not overall historic, because they only won two games the season before he got there. This was his seventh win in a year and a half on the job over a ranked opponent. Okay, He is proving to that fan base and teams inside that conference. Obviously, you're going to have more opportunities, but he's done it in non-con and league play. That Iowa State, particularly at home, it's going to have a shot against pretty much almost any team it, it plays because of how Altsberger was able to continue to build that roster and change the mindset of, of, of that team. So um, I thought Caleb Grill had a really, really good game. I think he, he might have finished with 20. He, he was also good and had some big, big buckets there to kind of keep Iowa State from, uh, from having any kind of sniff of danger from Baylor in the second half. So I actually thought it was equal parts takeaway for both of those teams. But Iowa State getting that win is just another – they could wind up being a team that gets a better seed than last season. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like they were an 11 when they danced in March last year. And because they're going to go in the Big 12 and they're going to take some hits on the chin, they're going to some losses are going to rack up. When you see what they did in non-com play and more quad ones coming down the road, they might be one of those classic cases of a team that you look up and you say that record doesn't look that great. 
but they've got a five or a six or a seven next to their name because they're going to have so many quad one opportunities and quad one wins that it's going to validate a really good seed when we get to March. Um, let me shine a light on Kansas State for a minute because you mentioned T.J. Otzelberger flipping that Iowa State program. Uh, Jerome Tang has done the same thing. Kansas State started uh, this season 77th at Ken Palm. Wildcats are now up to number 46 with a 12-1 and record featuring this win over West Virginia, up to 29th in the net, 17th KPI, 40th at Torvik. And this is a program that finished next to last in the Big 12 last season. They removed Bruce Weber, hired Jerome Tang, this is the result. And just like we talked about Dennis Gates um, on a previous podcast last week, like it is exactly the same recipe at Kansas State. Seven of the top eight scorers at KSU are transfers in their first year of the program. Transfers Jerome Tang and Roll. It's highlighted, of course, by Keontae Johnson, the Florida transfer. But seven of the, uh, of, of the top eight in total are First-year transfers in the program. Uh, you got a JUCO transfer, an Arkansas State transfer, Virginia Tech transfer, a Mississippi State transfer, a Hofstra transfer, a Stony Brook transfer. And this is why Louisville fans don't want to hear about how difficult things are or how it takes time. Like Dennis Gates took over a bad situation at Missouri, remade the roster with transfers, and has a good team in year one. Jerome Tang took over a bad situation at Kansas State, remade the roster with transfers, has a good team in year one. Uh, That's why the excuses at Louisville, after the Cardinals just got blown out again, uh, they're just excuses. Rebuilding no longer takes time. It can be done in one offseason with the right coach. And the right ske- and the right scheduling. Let's let's also include that. Some some generous scheduling also aids this uh, transition. There is no question, but um, I don't think Kansas State or Missouri is me- are merely b- byproducts of schedules, and I don't think Louisville to the other end of the spectrum is a byproduct of a of a ridiculously tough schedule. I, I think that uh, you know what's happening at Kansas State and Missouri. Um, is the byproduct of of them hiring two coaches who recognized how to flourish in the transfer portal immediately. And Louisville, not trying to be mean, just trying to be honest, um, seems to have hired somebody who who didn't quite um, – either didn't understand how important it was or how possible it was or uh, or or just did not get the job done. But we just watched T.J. Osselberger last year rebuild – Iowa State in one offseason, and now Dennis Gates and Jerome Tang are doing the same thing at Missouri and, and Kansas State. Um, next up for KSU is at Texas on Tuesday and then at Baylor on Saturday. So this could be a back-to-earth week for the Wildcats. We, we can all acknowledge that. Either way, uh, the point remains the same. Jerome Tang built a quality team out of basically nothing in one offseason, and he is now the latest Scott Drew assistant to show – um, he's got the stuff to be a, a a successful head coach. Agreed. Thoughts on my Baylor ISU takes? Yeah, I you know you know Baylor has they, they've been so good in recent years that you just don't expect them to 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 lose as often as they've lost this season, or just uh, how they've lost. That's right. that's more of it to me. Like if they lost by three points, that's that's not that's completely reasonable. This was just weird. Them blowing the lead and then Iowa State, you know, running away from it. Yeah, I, and so I, it's possible we're gonna reach the conclusion that Baylor isn't just as good. It just isn't as good as uh, most of us thought Baylor would be in, in the preseason, still a good team. I mean, they've got some good wins, but they've lost a lot more than, um, than they usually 
lose, or then I would have thought they would have lost um, before the calendar hit uh, uh, January 1st. And then with Iowa State, I think really what we're going to find out is this is just the Big 12. Like, I, I don't know where you can go in the Big 12 on the road and expect to play okay and win. Like, you got to be, you got to go play well at every road environment in the Big 12, or you can get caught. I don't care who you are. Kansas, Texas, um, it, you know, Texas Tech, it, you know, Baylor, you got to go play well on the road to avoid getting beat. Because anybody in the Big 12, I think, with a home court advantage and a poor performance from the opponent can, can win that game. And that's not true in any other league. Like, you don't have to be sharp in every ACC road game to win if you're good. You don't have to be sharp in every SEC road game to win if you're good. You got to be something close to sharp in every Big 12 road game to win, even if you're good. And, um, and that, that's just, that makes it the most challenging league in the country and I think the best league in the country. Let me keep it in the Big 12 here since we're talking this because the second game on Saturday in the triple header was Kansas-Oklahoma State and KU, coincidentally enough, closed out the year with an homage to its biggest win of the year against UNC in the title game and at home Saturday against the Pokes. The Jayhawks overcame 15-point halftime deficits to win. So how apropos of Kansas to do that. Uh, surprisingly enough, and this is obviously via KU stats and information, their, uh, their SID, the 15-point halftime deficit at Fog Allen was the largest overcome by Kansas in that building. It matched it. They did it in 2014 against Florida, and they did it back in 95 against the UCLA team that was coming off winning the national championship seven, eight months before. Shouts to the great Toby Bailey there. So uh, Kansas obviously doesn't often fall behind by as many as 15 by the break when it's time for a breather in that joint. Uh, but I was a little surprised they had never had a larger comeback from a halftime deficit than what they they matched there. Um, we'll get to the, the penultimate play of the game here in just a second. I will note that Dewan Harris is rising on my list of favorite college players to watch because he is a pass first, pass second, past their college point guard. I love these kind of players. He had nine assists, only one turnover in this game. And it is so clear that Bill self trusts Harris on a level where he has with some of his previous really, really good point guards there. There was no timeout called late. KJ Adams had the heads up. Give me of a bucket with 4.8 seconds to go. That wound up being the winning margin there. That came what, like 40 seconds after Kevin McCuller hit a corner three. McCuller didn't even have that great of a game. He was a loud presence in the final 90 seconds or so. Uh, but Jalen Wilson had 20 more. Um, and Adams was six or six on the floor with four rebounds in just 23 minutes. There's just a lot here for Kansas to like. Oklahoma State play Oklahoma State played better than an average game. Oklahoma State probably played like a an A minus level game, but Kansas had a 17-2 run in the second half from like the 16-minute mark to about 11 minutes to go. That's when they were able to really push back, make the charge, and and get the game back to where it was uh, it was in doubt. And between that, shooting 48, 48% from three, it's best so far this season. Uh, those are all factors that led to it. But obviously, we're gonna not a, if you got this ready, uh, go ahead and roll this because the the McCuller block on Bryce Thompson um, right before the game ended was what was controversial. And I think he's got the video. Go ahead, Nada. Oh, wow. That was a foul. I've seen it from the back angle. Clearly a foul. Bryce Thompson should have been at the line. That's a tough one. Now, appreciate Clark Kellogg's uh, commentary on that. 
when the play happened, Parrish and Thompson was terrific. He had, I think he had 23 on seven and he, he was hit seven, three pointers. He hit the three that tied it with 15 seconds to go. Really, really good performance by Bryce Thompson. Big picture for Oklahoma state. You got enough in that game where the record isn't that good right now, but there's got to be belief that you can be one of those teams that, that either finishes fourth, fifth, sixth, or seventh in the league standings. And that's going to be enough to get you in the big 12 standings. The loss is a stinging one because it's at fog Allen. Like I get it. I understand entirely. You go into that building and it's like <laughs> spirits take over the, the souls of the officials calling it. I understand anyone who saw the way Oklahoma state lose that game and has followed big 12 basketball for two years or 62 years, is not surprised by how it ended. In real time, I thought it was clean by McCuller. After seeing the replay, I leaned toward our colleague Clark Kellogg. I actually thought he got him with a little bit too much of the body, and if that's a play with 13 minutes to go in the second half, maybe it gets called. Your thoughts, Parrish? Lean toward? He hit him in the head. <laughs> he hit him in the head, bro. Like, this is one. This highlight is... is uh, why I wish Elon Musk would just run Twitter straight into the ground and we could all be done with I it. I was trying to be diplomatic in me setting you up, but fair enough. Because I, I tweet, I just retweeted the video and I was like, man, because I really, I like felt like I just had this moment where I was like, man, Mike Boynton, this guy can't catch a break. Like, you know, he gets, uh, his program gets a postseason ban in a time where like nobody else is getting postseason bans and you know, he's just sitting over there and like, we're not assuming like we know he's just sitting over there like, you know, WTF. And then like, he's got a, an opportunity to win at Kansas. Now let's be fair. Even if Bryce Thompson goes to the free throw line in those circumstances, he probably ain't making two statistically speaking. He's not making two, but he should have been at the free throw line with an opportunity to tie the score and, and possibly send it to overtime. Um, you know, I just thought that was something that replay I could put on Twitter and everybody would be like, oh, yeah, wow. Kansas got away with one there. And then we'd just be done with it. Just just move on to the next game. Instead, I, I had for about 12 hours people arguing in my mentions about whether it was a foul or not a foul. As if, as if, what? Like, I, I swear to God, like, the only thing I care about as much as Kansas fans care about Kansas would be probably the New York Mets, right? And I could, if you told me the Mets got, like, if there was some controversial play, like, there was a controversial play a, a few years ago where um, Michael Conforto, like, didn't make an attempt to get out of the way of a pitch. It's like a breaking ball. And he sort of leaned into it. You know, he had all the gear on and just sort of leaned into it. I think it was bases loaded and they caught it a, a hit batter and it like it ended the game. And people were like, he didn't even try to get out of the way. You have to attempt. That's the rule. You've got to attempt to get out of the way. And he clearly didn't attempt to get out of the way. He kind of leaned into it. And I'm a Mets fan. I was really happy the Mets won that game. I don't care how they won it. I was just happy it was a win instead of a loss. But, you know, when I looked at the replay, I think I even tweeted about it at the time. I was like, well, of course, that's terrible like he didn't he didn't attempt to get out of the way like the Mets got away with one I'm glad they did but of course I have I'm looking at the same thing you're looking at and I don't know why even can't diehard Kansas fans can't look at that and go okay I'm glad we got away with that but we didn't get away with that like people actually arguing it was not a foul Bryce Thompson got hit in the head bro that's a foul you can't hit the shooter in the head this is a shout to C Rad in the chat going bias takes on social media. You're kidding. <laughs> it's just like, I mean, but it's like, what are we arguing about? How do you even, how do you even start the I argument know, of, I don't think it looks clean to me. 
looks clean to you. He I hit know. him in the head. Yeah, you alerted me to the fact I did not realize Bryce Thompson, who is hitting 41% of his three-pointers, is only making 56% of his foul shots. He's only right. gotten in the line 25 times in 13 games. This is a 6-6 wing who you need to be a scorer slash shooter. So duly noted on that, I didn't realize he was that poor from the uh, from the line there. So, yeah, a little bit rough. By the way, Kansas has won 32 consecutive in a row straight conference openers. It's first Big 12 game for the past 32 seasons has gone Kansas's way. And for the 10th time in Bill Self's 20 seasons, so 50% hit rate on this, Kansas has won at least 12 of its first 13 games. Jayhawks fans are living Large. What else stood out to you from the weekend, GP? Well, uh, UNC dropped to nine and five with a loss at Pitt. Tar Heels are now four and five in their past nine games with three losses to sub 30 Ken Palm teams. I'm not going to do it again. I'm not going to sit here and tell you, boy, they're just not any good, but they're certainly not playing well. There's no getting around that. There's plenty of time to turn it around, just like they turned it around last season, but they're not playing well. Happy for uh, Jeff Capel to get that. That's a big win for his program, but. You know, I didn't expect the preseason number one team in the AP poll to to be nine and five through fourteen games or go four and five through literally any nine game stretch. Yeah, agreed. We aren't uh, we aren't going to play the Carolina tune on every single pod, but it's obviously notable loss. It was back on Friday. Uh, uh, with all that um, personal side note, my uh, one of my brothers got my one of my sons uh, this uh, like 007 Lego car replica thing. So I it was way more complicated than I thought it was going to be. So with about 18 minutes to go in the second half, I was like, yeah, I, we had the game on. I was like, yeah, I think I can get this done by like the under eight. <laughs> and it's like, it gets like three minutes to go. And I'm, we're like 50% done. I'm like, I'm like, son, I got to watch it. I got to, I got to watch pit basketball right now. And so we did finally got it done. Uh, a fun little memory there. Um, but, uh, <laughs> but my son, my older son, he's like, who's pit. I'm like, ah, it's so existential. And then, on Saturday, kids will say the darndest things, right? So I think it was right before he might have gone to bed with the first game in the college football playoff. He goes, Dad, why are coaches always so mean? I'm like, or, no, why do coaches have to be mean all the time is what he well, said. That- I, was like, I was like, it's interesting. They don't have to be. And so I was trying to explain to him the dynamic because he because, you know, he's young. He's first grader. Whenever he sees a coach or many times when he sees a coach on on screen, they look pissed off. They're yelling. And so <laughs> I was like, well, sometimes in a football game, the players are really far away on the field. It was just, it was one of those things where it's like, no, you, you have a valid point. Not everyone. Shouts to Brett Stevens. Not everyone's always mean all the time, but it was an interesting observation. Well, well, like I swear to you, I was thinking about this earlier today. Like, and it was, I was sort of thinking about it from the perspective of, D- of Dan Hurley, because he's clearly one of the coaches who has the, the, the most famous breakdowns on the sideline. Coaches, act so crazy not all but some so crazy on the sideline that we just sort of go well that's just what coaching is but like imagine if that's the way other jobs worked like imagine if you worked in an office building and every time something went kind of wrong with your job you just started stomping around and yelling and waving your arms and stuff like people would think you're a lunatic but because coaches uh, just do it all the time and have done it forever we're like yeah that's just coaching but I don't believe that has to be coaching. I don't think you have to coach by yelling and screaming and being mad all the time. Like I clearly it works for some people, but I don't think that like you do it because you have to do it. I, I just fundamentally don't believe that. And I do think it's wild if you can separate it from what you've always seen and just sort of like your son did have a fresh look at it with no perspective. 
Yep. And you you don't know this is the way it's always been because you don't know anything about anything. And you but you see it. And you go, man, this is kind of weird. Why are these people always so mad? It is. It's it's a wild deal. It was almost like the way it, it was like a, a beat of of just uh, no talking in my house with two young boys. That's that doesn't happen frequently. So it was like a beat of silence. And then he the tone he said it in was almost as if I, I put something he had never seen before on his plate. The way he just said it, it was like it was dawning on him like every time I because we have obviously we have hoops and football on and on the house and a lot and uh and he's just asking a, a very pointed straight innocent question about why do coaches have to be mean all the time and i just it, it, that and uh what is pit what does pit actually made me <laughs> what does pit made me laugh out loud but hey congrats to pit they they get the win jamarius burton 31 points in that pit is 3-0 and in acc play for the first time since 15 16 has not been 4-0 since the 13-14 season. The next game is a home one against Virginia. If you win that, Pitt, then we'll really be talking. Um, I do want to mention Marquette got a good, another good win against Villanova. Villanova, again, it's looking better, but it's taking these losses that need to be wins. You took on too much water in non-conference play, so the Wildcats are in real danger of not making the NCAA tournament. They're going to have to steal some on the road. Uh, this one was a, was a home loss there. Stevie Wilson and Cam Jones played well for Marquette, so shouts to Marquette uh, for getting another good win there. And then I will note, Texas got a win on the road against Oklahoma, 70-69. Uh, Longhorns are now 5-0 and without Chris Beard, and it's the first time since 2009-2010 Texas started 17-0 that season. This is the best start for that program this deep into a season um, in that amount of time. So there was, you know, we'll get to the Sunday stuff in a second here, but that was some more Saturday stuff that uh, that stuck out to me. What about you? Well, on let's just go straight to Sunday because or just earlier I was watching, and by watching, I mean I had it on. I just it, I had it on. Um, at some point, you don't need to watch anymore. But, like, Maryland got crushed again, mm-hmm. you know, Three games ago, lost by 27 at home to UCLA. And then on Sunday afternoon, lost by 35 to Michigan. And that's a Michigan team that has been disappointing um, this season. You know, Michigan started the season in the preseason, uh, you know, started the season in the top 25. But this Michigan team has lost to Arizona State, um, you know, which is outside of the top 50 at Ken Palm. And then last Thursday... Lost to Central Michigan. So Michigan lost to Central Michigan by two on Thursday. After we finished the pod, they were spared on that episode because the game wasn't done when we wrapped on that. So we actually never even wound up talking about that one. And then three days later, they beat Maryland by 35 points. What? That's a Maryland team you had in like top 10 at one point, right? I, I put them back in the top 25 and one um, <laughs> at some point last week just because I needed somebody. You know, I keep list. I keep it down to about 30, 31. And when I got to remove somebody, I just move somebody up. So Maryland moved back up. But boy, I can't get them out of there fast enough this time. I was wrong. That's Maryland's right. got to go. I'm going to actually um, open up two spots in the top 25 and one before I go to bed tonight. Maryland will be removed after this loss um, to Michigan. And Memphis will be removed after its Sunday afternoon loss uh, down at Tulane. You got room for Wake Forest in there? Out of curiosity, I'll just mention them real quick. They've beaten Duke and Virginia Tech. North Carolina's next. Tyree Appleby had a good had a good uh, showing in the Virginia Tech game. They quite good enough. Not, or maybe just not, not really on my radar. Uh, you know, they've got um, uh, you know three sub sixty Ken Palm losses to Loyola, Marymount, Clemson, LSU. They're eighty seventh at Ken Palm. I'm not afraid to rank somebody in the top twenty five and one who isn't even in like the top forty or fifty or maybe even sixty at Ken Palm. But when you have 
more questionable losses than most of my ranked teams do. And then the computer numbers don't help you at all. I tend to, I tend to stay away from you. I think right now I'm looking at teams like, I actually made a list. Let me look at it um, and put yes, it in the top. Uh, so they just got a weird resume. That's why I asked. Yeah, no, I've got a, a list like Florida Atlantic is on my list as somebody better damn well be on your list. Okay. They are on my list and I would like to do it um, because like I saw a clip floating around earlier with Pat Kelsey being asked about it. And I hate it when coaches say stuff like, oh, yeah, I don't worry about rankings. It doesn't matter. Because like they do matter. They matter in so many ways. They keep you on the default scoreboard of everybody's app. Like the default scoreboard you go to on, a, on your CBS Sports app for college basketball, it's going to be a top 25 scoreboard. Suddenly you're visible in, in ways that you, you otherwise uh, aren't visible. You, know, you want to know that, like, here's, here's to the point. Michigan lost to Central Michigan last Thursday night. You want to know the truth? I didn't know it till Friday morning because they weren't on the default scoreboard. I, I woke up and um, had a text from somebody saying, hey, what do you think of that? And so you, when you're ranked, you are, you're Hell visible. Way to wake up, by the way. <laughs> you're, you're, well, I mean, that wasn't a guy. I didn't want to, I didn't want to say the quote. The uh, text message arrived text at 714 a.m. How do you think about those Michigan? <laughs> it was something. Yeah. It, it was something that drew my attention to, to Central Michigan, Michigan. So it makes you visible in ways you otherwise wouldn't be visible. Um, it gets you on the ticker. You know, on CBS Sports Network, on ESPN, it, it, it gets your highlights played on Sports Center and inside college basketball. Like any coach who says it doesn't matter is just um, not is either just being difficult to be difficult or not smart enough to understand all the ways that it actually does matter. My point is this. I saw a clip with Pat Kelsey um, earlier today where he was acknowledging he would love it for how much it would mean to his school and his players and how it would help in recruiting and what it would mean to the city of Charleston. So Charleston is on my radar, but if I'm being honest, it's not the type of team I would rank. You know, they, they do have a win over Virginia Tech, but that that's really it in terms of notable wins. And, you know, I'm not sure how good that win over Virginia Tech is at this point. The lone loss is to North Carolina, but like we said, North Carolina is four and five and it's past nine. So they got a loss to a team that I don't have ranked. They haven't beaten a team I have ranked. And the computer numbers are are not great. 89th at, at Ken Bomb for one. And so I will I will have no issue with any AP voter who puts Charleston on a ballot. It's fine with me because I'd be happy to do it. And I guess you can just point to 14 and one with the lone loss to North Carolina and say, that's good enough. But based on the way I tend to do things, I, I don't think Charleston makes the cut right now. All right. That's fair. Uh, on your Maryland, Michigan note, uh, Maryland had 13 points in the first half. It was the lowest by an opponent against Michigan in its modern era. I don't know how far back the modern era goes, but let's call it at least 40 years. Right. So, uh, and by the way, the last time Michigan held an opponent to fewer than 20 points in the first half was Maryland a year ago. <laughs> yeah, uh, those are now uh, conference mates, obviously. So Maryland cannot get out of scheduling uh, Michigan, but that's not going so well for them. Nice win for Michigan to kind of turn, turn that around a little bit, a little bit. But Maryland is, whoo, boy, it's, it's up there with... Uh, being as as polarizing from a resume standpoint is just uh just about anyone. Before we preview, real, real, real quick, I, I mentioned because I, I never went back to that list. Um, yeah. I, I'm going to remove Maryland, going to remove Memphis, and then I've got a list of teams I'm looking at. Florida Atlantic is one of them. I think you can justify. Um, Mar Marquette, as you noted, um, uh, you know, got another nice win. I think you can justify that. 
West Virginia, even coming off of a loss to Kansas State, you can still easily justify West Virginia in your rankings. You could put Kansas State in there. Um, I, I think that's that's something that you know you can defend that Auburn. You can defend Iowa State. You can defend. So I'm not sure. I have to really look at it. But I, I imagine I'll be picking. I'll be filling those two spots in the top 25 and one with some some combination: Kansas State, Auburn, West Virginia, Marquette, Florida Atlantic, Iowa State. All right. Two quickies on Sunday games before we just give you the heads up on what to look for on Monday and Tuesday. One. In the preseason, I said that Iowa would not be a tournament team, and it's now eight and six, losers of three consecutive. Eastern Illinois. A just hideous beyond belief home loss. Tried to walk in a pinnacle, failed on Thursday, and then lost Sunday at Penn State. Iowa's got to fix some stuff. We'll see if it can or can't. I don't know. We'll see. The Penn State's the story here. 11-3. and three, You don't have them ranked. That's fair. Um, the losses are all respectable at this point, and Jalen Pickett has been one of the most improved players in the country to this point. Uh, Iowa came back late. It was uh, actually, they were up like 22, 23 points. I I got my kids down early before we did this pod. And then when I came back down, there was like 30 seconds to go and Iowa cut it to two. So I missed how Iowa actually uh, got that down before ultimately losing 83-79. Chris Murray did play well. He had 32 in that game. They obviously need him. But Pickett had 26 in this one. And he has been awesome. Penn State, when it when Micah took over, uh, you know they they had the expected first year, right? It was fourteen and seventeen, kind of getting back to what you mentioned at the top of the the show. But this is year two now, and this team is just so much different offensively. It's the best team statistically right now with the ball in its hands. It turns it over on fewer of its possessions than any team in the country. The Big Ten will have there will be a way where some teams that were in the dance last year they're not going to get there this year, and the ones that weren't are Penn State is is tracking toward this. It's still plenty of work to do don't get me wrong but Penn State winning 11 of its first 14 games is a notable thing I don't have it in front of me in the past 30 I'll guess how about this past 30 seasons Penn State started 11 and 3 or better in the past 30 seasons someone fact check me this and find me at Matt Norlander on Twitter I'm gonna say that's happened I'll say three times in 30 seasons Penn State started 11 and 3 or better so it's notable in and of itself that they did that and then one more thing here quick as we watch this this game eh, it might end just as we're wrapping up but maybe not Butler is winning 75-46 at Georgetown Butler's <laughs> going to get a win in the Big East Georgetown's going to remain winless the only reason why I bring this up cuz I don't, we do not need to uh, just you know go after Georgetown every single episode but I did see uh, the uh, the Twitter account Hilltop Hoops, who I think documents every single time we talk about Georgetown <laughs> on this podcast. I'm seeing that uh, there was someone with a Save G-Town B-Ball sign. And then I don't know if this is the same sign and it was just turned around or if these are two different signs, but there's another sign that says, New Year, New Coach, We Want Change. And according to Hilltop Hoops, it took Arena Security eight minutes and 31 seconds of game time to confiscate my sign tonight. So I guess this is the actual person behind the account. (laughs) When I asked the usher why it was being taken, he said, quote, Georgetown does not want any antagonistic signs in the arena. End quote. I asked who gave the instruction and he would only say, quote, the call came from the floor. End quote. Hey, Georgetown, when you do this kind of stuff, it only brings more negative attention upon your program and gets more of a bigger, brighter, hotter light on just how terrible Patrick Ewing is doing. This actually does not help matters. If you simply let someone hold up a sign, hope it doesn't show up on television, a game barely anyone's watching, because let's be honest, it's eight and six Butler against five and nine Georgetown. It doesn't get mentioned on a national college basketball podcast, but stuff like this 
when it's it's only going to make the problem worse. So I wanted to point it out on the podcast. Georgetown is set to uh, to drop to five and ten, and twenty twenty three is starting out no better than twenty twenty two ended. Robert Half Research indicates nine out of ten hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, so let's look ahead to the next two nights. Monday, we've got Rutgers at number one, Purdue. Boilermakers trying to remain undefeated, just like New Mexico. West Virginia at Oklahoma State is also on Monday night. Then Tuesday, pretty good schedule. Mississippi State at Tennessee, LSU at Kentucky, Kansas at Texas Tech, Kansas State at Texas, Virginia at Pitt. What are you looking to uh, most forward to there? Did you not mention? First of all, you're fly, you fly tomorrow. Fly tomorrow in studio Tuesday night, Wednesday night. Okay, so I'm going to start with one. I, unless I missed it here, you did not mention the undefeated New Mexico Lobos at Fresno, at Fresno State. State. 11 Eastern. See, this is your late one on Tuesday. CBS Sports Network GP will be in studio. Tune in, watch the game, see if New Mexico can, can keep pace with. Well, we'll see if Purdue's going to remain undefeated because it's at home Monday. By the way, hmm. Let's see. Let's see how good your memory is here. Preseason oh. episode. Mm-hmm. We we asked ourselves, would there be an undefeated team on January one? I have the answer. Do you remember if you said yes or no? I, I I hope I said yes. You said yes, and I said yes. Do you remember your team that we had? We picked our most likely candidates. Do you remember the team you thought you said would be most? I likely? I think I said Houston. You did say Houston. Yeah. Didn't make it. I said TCU. They tried though. They tried. Didn't, I didn't. But we. They tried but, though. Certainly give them, tried. Give them, give them credit for trying. But to, to they my tried except there, for the second half against Alabama. <laughs> <laughs> they did not try in the second half against Alabama. <laughs> That's true. Um, to my point, we only got two standing here. We're on one one twenty three, and it's just Purdue home against Rutgers. Uh, if memory serves, it was at Rutgers last season, back when it was twenty twenty one, when Purdue got knocked and took its first L. Ron Harper Jr. Right from 40 feet. I think he hit the shot. Uh, that's so Rutgers is going in. I do remember game. Rutgers ending somebody's undefeated season. It was, was Purdue. It? It was I just I think, and I think it was Harper who hit like who hit the buzzer beater. That I think I remember that because uh, there was that famous call. The train is off the tracks. Oh, the train is off the tracks. <laughs> that was actually that was well before you wanted to become an engineer. And then oh, you realize you meant conductor and it was Illinois. The train is off the tracks. That was a thing uh, a season ago. I completely oh, forgot I, I'm glad you said that. OK, because coincidentally, I, I got an email today from uh, Ryan uh, Holt. Uh, shouts to Ryan Holt. I'm just going to read you the email as it was okay. sent to me. Gary, longtime listener and absolutely love the Island College Basketball Podcast. I hope Ryan don't, doesn't mind me sharing this. If you do, Ryan, email me again and say, hey, GP, that was out of line. But I, I hope it's fine. Um, longtime listener and absolutely love the Island College Basketball Podcast. Was listening to the mailbag episode on my run today and happened uh, to run by the placard for the great Nashville train wreck while you were talking about it. 
<laughs> Thought you might like to see some pics of it below. <laughs> he sent me pictures of it. Send I'm them to Nada. Tweet that out, or you tweet it out. Or you send it from the official pod Twitter account. I'll send it awesome. to. I'll send it to Nada. Yeah, no, I've got right where the 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 disaster on the train tracks in Nashville happened back in 1918. This man was listening to me talk about it. The most That's random right. thing you could ever talk about on a, on a college basketball podcast, other than maybe premarital sex. And he's he's like, "Wow, I'm running past this place right now. What in the world? That'd be like." Uh, It'd be like you're running, you're on a jog, and we're talking about Elvis and UMass Lowell and Graceland, and then you're just running by Graceland. Mm-hmm. Although I wouldn't advise running by Graceland. Mm. How about that, though? I, it, we need a new placard for you destroying uh, Illinois. That needs to go next to that. So ask <laughs> Ryan if you can build something. I assume he's, lo- he's local. Build something. Just put it there. Don't ask. Don't, don't look for the ordinance. <laughs> don't go to City Hall. Do it yourself. DIY. Any kind of memorial to, to the Illinois 22-23 season that was uh, that was all GP's doing. If you could actually do that, I'm not kidding. We will, we will, we will publicize such matters. Make so. a fake sign and put it next to that sign and let's let's call that the, the, the spot where the two biggest train disasters in United States history happened. First, uh, the disaster in, in uh, Nashville that lost um, – a whole bunch of lives is actually is actually a pretty bad deal. And then, of course, when I ran the Illini train clear off the tracks. Anywho, uh, so yeah, New Mexico is at Fresno State, eleven Eastern. That's a night game, not a morning game. All that means is I'm gonna. All that means I'm gonna be at work till one thirty in the morning. That's all. Uh, that CBS Sports Network, and uh, we're gonna do a we're gonna do a Wednesday nine a.m. podcast. You love it. Just kidding, GP. Wouldn't do that to you. Uh, also, Marquette at St. John's, six thirty Eastern, FS one on Tuesday. St. John's got run twenty two points against Seton Hall on Saturday. Johnny's uh, to the St. John's fans listening. I see you. I hear you. You're like, not again. Please, not again. They had a good, they had a terrible non-conference schedule in terms of who they assembled, racked up the wins, and now they're looking like frauds. We'll see if they can change that in conference play. To the other games that you mentioned, um, I'll just list them off real, real quick, one through four, in terms of my intrigue. Uh, most intrigue for me is Virginia at Pitt. Dad, what is Pitt? I, I'm, I'm in on that. Uh, I want to see if they can actually respond. Home court, they'll probably have... Their, Pitt might have its best home court environment for a conference game in four or five seasons here. You got a little, you got a little dose of optimism. Let's see if you can get it done against Virginia. That's an nine Eastern ACC network tip. Number two after that is LSU at Kentucky eight Eastern on ESPN. LSU has a gaudy record. Kentucky will be favored, expected to win. Let's see if it can continue to do so. It ran away from Louisville, wound up winning by 23. We wait and see after that Kansas state at Texas nine Eastern Longhorn network special on Tuesday there. I've got that. Uh, Kansas State, if it were to be able to go in and win a game there, then we're really talking about something uh, major with the, with that program, even beyond what it's done. And then Kansas at Texas Tech. Texas Tech took a loss. It actually blew a big lead against TCU over the weekend. And so um, we'll see. Texas Tech's in a, in a spot here where, to be honest, like these are the games that has to win. Texas Tech's non-conference is terrible. Let me look. Let me bring that up real quick. I'm going to do a blind guess. I'm going to say Texas Tech's non-conference schedule at Camp Palm. I'm going to say it's 303. I'm going to see what they're at right now. Oh my gosh. 348, my man. 348 for Texas Tech. 10 and 3 has no notable wins whatsoever. It is going to need to overperform in Big 12 play in order to get a bid because nothing it did in non-conference play is going to mean anything. It's its best win is home against Louisiana Tech. I'm not kidding you. According to the metrics, it's Texas Tech's second best win in non-conference play was against Georgetown in Lubbock. 
if if Georgetown is your second best non-con win, you're in severe trouble there. Texas is going to have to probably win at least at least 10 games in Big 12 play. So it's got a big opportunity on Tuesday at home against Kansas. That game is a nine Eastern tip on ESPN2. All right, we ready to get out of here? Let's go. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Huck. Shouts to Larnell. Thank you, guys. Once again, for listening to the Island College Basketball Podcast, if you're not subscribed, please go subscribe anywhere you subscribe to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Over at Apple, five stars. Leave a nice review. Type some words. There's more of us than there, there are of them, and that needs to be reflected in the comments properly. If you're not subscribed to the YouTube channel, knock that out. If you haven't hit the like button yet, please do that. And we will talk to you again at the very latest on Wednesday, 11 a.m. Eastern. Till then, take care. From the world of Sonic the Hedgehog, a new hero arrives. I am ready. Is there anyone stronger? No. Tougher? No. Funnier? I do not make jokes. I make warriors. Knuckles. Now streaming only on Paramount+. Plus. Yes!